0: Hello, and welcome back to Midweek Bible Study. David and Goliath, undoubtedly, it's one of the best-known stories in the Bible. Uh, Even those outside the Jewish and Christian faiths know something about it, right? And In our culture, David and Goliath has come to represent the, the little guy against the big guy. Uh, It's untrained Erin Brockovich uh, taking on the multi-billion dollar Pacific Gas and Electric. In fact, her website says she's a modern-day David who loves a good brawl with today's Goliaths. Uh, To others, it's uh, underdog defeating the favorite. Uh, It's tiny Division I AA Appalachian State beating the Michigan Wolverines, number five in the nation, uh, in front of 100,000 Michigan fans on their home turf, in Ann Arbor. And while these versions of the story may be instructive for us, the original story in scripture of David and Goliath can inspire us all the more. So we'll organize our thoughts around six main headings. Uh, the source of our security, sorting out steady struggles, seeing with spiritual sensitivity, Uh, overlooking offenses and obstacles, firing forward in faith, and lastly, giving God the glory. Now, those who are note-takers can use the sheet that I sent you to jot down insights and applications. So first is the source of our security. It's found in the first 11 verses, and maybe you noticed in verse 1 that the Philistines gathered their troops at Soco, which belongs to Judah. That The Philistines were encroaching on Israelite territory. They were setting up shop in the land that God had promised to his people. You notice Soko that belongs to Judah. So King Saul naturally gathers the Israelites on a mountain across from the Philistines, and they're kind of staring across the Valley of Elah at each other. It's a very dramatic setting for a dramatic showdown. And then we meet the Philistine champion, Goliath, who is intimidating. He's nine feet tall. He's wearing 125 pounds of body armor. Did you get that? His body armor weighed 125 pounds. He's carrying a huge spear with a 15-pound iron point on it, besides his bronze helmet and his javelin and his shin guards and his shield bearer going out ahead of him. And Goliath was an effective bully. (laughs) When Saul and all the Israelites heard the Philistines' words, they were dismayed and terrified. As careful readers of our Bible, we can see the irony here, right? We remember back to 1 Samuel 8, when the Israelites insisted on having a king who would go out before us and fight our battles. You you remember the backstory? They wanted to be like all the other nations, depending on a visible king rather than an unseen God to lead them. But now, facing the battle with Goliath and the Philistines, how is that arrangement working out for them? (laughs) Not very well. You see, when push came to shove in the moment of truth, both Israel and its king that it so badly wanted were marked by fear rather than faith in God. Now, of course, Goliath was gigantic, he was massively protected, he he was heavily armored, Uh, he was a major intimidation. But that's only if we're looking at the outward appearance of things. And as astute readers of our Bibles, we know better, right? Because we learned in the previous chapter, chapter 16, that the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, and then the backstory again, helps us here. Sure, Goliath is a nine-footer. He, he's got all the best gear, he's got the biggest weapons of the day, but there is more to the situation than meets the eye. So whether we're sizing up a potential leader, like Samuel was with Eliab in chapter 16, or we're sizing up an enemy who opposes us, like the Israelites were with Goliath in chapter 17, the lesson is don't just look on outward appearances, but learn to see as God does. And to find the source of our security, not in any human king, but rather in our heavenly king, the Lord. What they should have realized was that despite their previous initial victory over the Ammonites that Saul helped lead, their security was not in Saul, but in the Lord, right? Yahweh was Israel's true national security, all along. What about us? What's the source of our security? Is our ultimate trust in a human president, or an economic recovery plan, or a medical vaccine, or or a security system some of us have on our homes, or, or our jobs, or retirement plans, or the latest technology? Those things are fleeting. They can always let us down. No, the lesson for Israel is the same as the lesson for us today. Our only true source of security is in the Lord. And that brings us to our second point, which is sorting out steady struggles, starting in verse 12. We've already been introduced to the gargantuan Goliath and the shrinking Saul, and and now a third character enters the scene, David. We find out he's one of Jesse's eight sons, uh, and his three oldest brothers had already followed Saul into the war with the Philistines. David, meanwhile, played the role of kind of shuttling back and forth from tending the sheep at home in Bethlehem and and taking supplies to the army and to his brothers at the military front lines about 15 miles away. And then we're told that Goliath's taunt happening out there on the battle lines was not a one-time event. It was a steady struggle. The Israelites faced it for some 40 days, Uh, and some suggest that Goliath issued his combat challenges every morning and every evening in order to interrupt the Israelites' designated times for prayer. Whether that's true or not, we know that Goliath was in their face on a regular, twice-daily basis. It was a steady, slow-dripping struggle. Maybe you face a steady struggle in your life It stares you in the face every morning when you get up and, and every evening when you get ready for bed, it's right there with you. could be something going on inside of you, or maybe, and so an internal struggle possibly, or, or maybe something outside of you. It's a difficult boss or workplace situation. It's, it's a challenging school or teacher circumstance or... It's ongoing friction, maybe in family relations. It's, it's a nagging health or perhaps financial problem. Well, as we have already seen, Saul and the Israelites did not respond well to their steady struggle. They grew accustomed to, they almost settled into being humiliated day after day after day, morning and evening. They were dismayed and they were greatly afraid There was no faith there, just kind of dismay and fear. Their struggle took the wind out of them. It got the best of them. How are we doing with our struggle? Are we dismayed and afraid like like Saul and the Israelites? Or are we faith-filled and God-focused, as we'll see David responding very differently in his struggle with Goliath? Well, that brings us to our third point, seeing with spiritual sensitivity. We know in passing that, that David obeyed his father right away. Did you notice that? Early in the morning, David loaded up and he set out just like his dad had directed him to. He delivered Jesse's food to the keeper of supplies before running to the front lines to greet his, his brothers there. And when he's there, Goliath comes out and does his usual stick. He, he offers his his defiance, he dares Israel to send a champion to fight him to the death. And the Israelites run from Goliath in great fear. They were all chicken. (laughs) And that included Saul, who was not serving as a brave king to lead them in the battle, but instead concocted a kind of a a buy-off plan, right? He's going to offer great wealth and his daughter in marriage and family freedom, apparently from taxes and other obligations, to anyone who would kill Goliath. Saul wanted to hire out the job that really he had been appointed to do. But no one was lining up for that job. You didn't have to take a number like you do at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. In sharp contrast, David sees what's going on as a disgrace. To Israel. It's a disgrace. Notice his perspective in verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, everyone else heard a booming voice, and they saw a well-armed giant, and they fled in great fear. But David heard a blasphemous taunt aimed at the armies of the living God, and he saw an uncircumcised Philistine. Unlike everyone else, David brought a God perspective to the situation. In fact, did you notice verse 26 is the first mention of God in the entire chapter? Right? Shouldn't having a living God make a decisive difference to you guys here? Well, if we are going to live faithfully, if we're not going to be conformed to this world and squeezed into its mold, we're going to first have to learn how to see things differently than those around us do. It all starts by seeing with spiritual sensitivity. So let's each of us ask the Spirit to give us 2020 God-centered vision as we sort out our study struggles. David's also a role model for us, I think, in the way that he overlooks offenses and obstacles, our, our next section. David is rightly seeing Goliath's taunts as really what they are at, in the core is they're defying the armies of the living God. And he begins to express an interest in removing this disgrace from Israel. And the next thing you know, David is tempted to get derailed, right? Which is really no surprise because David's being called to do the work of the Lord. And it starts with his older brother, Eliab, who doesn't like what David is up to, right? Hey, the battlefield is no place for you. Shouldn't you be go back to tending that, that little group of lambs, Shepherd Boy? You know, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You just came down to see the battle. David might be thinking, battle? What battle? <laughs> Uh, the one where you guys put on your gear and you line up day after day uh, to have this pagan defy God? They they probably had a history, (laughs) these two brothers, you can imagine. Uh, Eliab was picking a fight. He's trying to push David's buttons. But David would not be derailed from the bigger mission that God had for him. You notice David's response. He replies, what have I done now? Can't I even talk? And then he gets back to business, he turns away from Eliab and back to some of the soldiers to ask them about the matter with Goliath. David is a great role model for us by staying on track with God's purposes, not taking Eliab's bait, but overlooking the offense. Not only that, but David also overlooks an obstacle that King Saul throws at him next. Saul objects that David isn't up to the task because he's only a youth or an adolescent, right? He's no match for this full-grown, grisly war veteran. And many would have, I think, thrown in the towel then, well, you know, I tried, I volunteered, but the king rejected me. It must be a closed door, right? I guess it's not God's will. Those are common responses that we often give, but instead of giving up, David overlooks this obstacle and he responds by firing forward in faith. Rather than packing it in when faced with obstacles, David points out to Saul, hey, I I got some more experience than might meet the eye here. Uh, David's credentials included killing lions or bears when, when they tried to carry off sheep from the flock that David was guarding. David wasn't the kind of guy, you see, who would run from dangerous situations. If an animal turned on David, he'd grab it by its scruff and strike it dead. Way before Crocodile Dundee and TV personality Steve Irwin wrestled with alligators in Australia, David was taking on lions and bears when they threatened his sheep right there in Judah. This whole deal really wasn't about David's bravery or his fighting skills. Ultimately, it was about God. Verses 36 and 37 are absolutely key to seeing one of the ways that David was a man after God's own heart. See, the reason Goliath is going to die, just like those animals did, is that he defied the people of the one true living God. And it's nothing for the Lord to take care of this defiant man who is mocking his people. You see, it's been about God all along. The Lord is the one who made David triumphant in his battles with the lions and the bears, and the Lord is the one who will make David triumphant in his battle with this Philistine. I love the way David looks back in faith at what God has done for him, which allows him to fire forward in faith at what God will do for him. Lions, bears, and Philistines, oh my! No, it doesn't matter how young David is or how big and strong this guy appears to be, and David doesn't need Saul's ill-fitting armor either. <laughs> right? The key is that the Lord is far, far superior to Goliath, and the Lord is with David. Mm. Now, Sometimes we wrongly picture David with a, like a little small rubber band sling, the kid's toy, you know. Instead, we should understand the sling was an important weapon in ancient Israel. In fact, it's estimated that a skilled slinger uh, could hurl rocks at more than 100 miles an hour by whirling it over his head before letting the stone go. And those who have done the ballistics calculations, they estimate that the stopping power of the rock from David's sling was equal to that of a 45 caliber handgun. Still, as they took the battlefield, David didn't look like much to Goliath as the two approach each other coming across the valley. And when Goliath gets close enough to kind of look David over and inspect him, He sees his opponents, he's only a youth, and he's ruddy, he's handsome, he's nothing like a hardened warrior. Uh, To Goliath, David looked more like he belonged on the cover of a teen magazine than in the ultimate fighting cage, right? So Goliath disdained David. He, He tells him, You don't even know what you're in for. And then Goliath makes his fatal mistake. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Uh Uh-oh. You see, Philistines had many gods, Dagon, Beelzebub, Ashtoreth, and Goliath curses David by these pagan non-gods, really. And and then Goliath dares David to come a little closer and he threatens to give David's flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Your carcass is going to be lying on this valley floor before much longer, you little punk. Goliath has clearly experienced it, insulting bravado, meant to demoralize and intimidate his opponents. And remember, Goliath's tough words had been working perfectly up until then, right? With Saul and all the Israelites kind of cowering back in fear until now, right? Come out fee, fi, fo, fum, and they, they kind of all scatter. But now, cursing David by his little g gods will prove to be. Goliath's undoing, because David will continue to fire forward in faith and to be sure to give God the glory, which is exactly what David does, starting in verse 45. David makes it crystal clear that the battle is not a fight between two men. Rather, it's a contest between the big G God and the little G gods whom they serve, respectively. See, Goliath has cursed David by his pagan gods and now he comes against David with earthly weapons of sword and spear and javelin. But David comes against Goliath in the name of the Lord of hosts whose armies Goliath has been defying every morning and evening for 40 days. And David boasts of the Lord's abilities, not his own. The Lord is the one who will hand Goliath over to David. Why? So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and the battle is his. Start the presses. Get going with your tweets. This encounter is about the Lord's reputation. And the fact that David is only armored with his staff and sling and stones will burn it into the memories of all those gathered. Remember, Philistines and Israelites are watching from their respective mountain peaks that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's, and it's about God getting the glory. Well, the battle between David's Big G God and the Philistines, little G gods, is is no contest, right? Because the living God bests any opponent, spiritual or physical. And it's almost over before it begins. It's like a a first-round knockout. As the Philistine moves closer to attack him, David slung a stone into the Philistine's unprotected forehead, which made quite an impression on Goliath. (laughs) And the next thing you know, Goliath has fallen face down just like the Philistine god Dagon had fallen face down before God's ark. In the backstory of chapter 5, you remember. Then David used the Philistine's own sword to finish him off. Goliath got the point. When the Philistine army saw that their hero was dead... They reneged on the deal that they had made in verse 9, right? That if if you defeat us, we'll be your servants. And instead, they turn and they run in the other direction. And this suddenly transformed Israelite army all of a sudden is ready to go after them and rout the Philistines all the way back to their own territory and their own cities. So the chapter began in humiliation cowardly Saul and the fearful Israelites, allowing God, Goliath, to defy them and the God they serve, but the chapter ends in unforgettable triumph. David risked his life, you see, to defend God's honor and to give God the glory. There is a God in Israel, and the battle is the Lord's was true for God's people then, and it is true for God's people now. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we have been encouraged, uh, perhaps convicted, and inspired through our time in your word. While we admire David's faith and boldness, we want to acknowledge that you are the ultimate hero of this story and the story of every believer. As we meditate on your word in the days ahead, guard us from forgetfulness. Help us to live in faithful response to what you have taught us for your name's sake. Through Jesus. Amen.